Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of the Soda City Sit Down. And here at the Soda City Sit Down, it has been a massive week, a massive week. And honestly, the word massive is an understatement. We have had a great response from last week's episode uh, with the guys from uh, from Myrtle Beach Prep, uh, the interview there. If you have not had a chance to listen to it, I highly recommend going back and and serenading your eardrums with that because it was absolutely phenomenal. Serenading your eardrums. Yes, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. <laughs> I like I mean, it. Was, I like it. All right. Yeah. That was a beautiful interview. I mean, it could not have gone any it better. Really it was it was absolutely amazing. So um I, I mean I I think we all enjoyed recording it and I think everyone uh, who listened to it uh, enjoyed it as well. So it's gonna be really good. Uh, so, um, you know, if you uh, if you listen to that interview, if you've listened to our other interview, any of our other episodes, and you've liked it, uh, then please go on to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us, subscribe, rate, review, all of that. If you don't like us, then then don't rate and review unless you want to give us five stars. If you don't, don't want to give us five stars. We might be breaking some like rules of agreement with Apple. If you want to give us one stars, then you know. I mean, Apple won't even give us our numbers. I've got beef with Apple, that's for sure. <laughs> we can't say that on the podcast, dude. Watch out, Big Brother is gonna come back and get you. Redacted. They will be talking to my lawyer. Okay, Karen. <laughs> for real. Yeah, I say that as I talk through an Apple Mac, so they might they might snatch it. <laughs> yeah. If you give us one stars, we know why. Just title your review Austin and we'll, we'll completely understand. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Makes sense. <laughs> Austin's like, I agree. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, it's really been a fun week. It's been a great week. Uh, our, our notifications, I guess, have been blowing up. Uh, we've been, we've really increased our following this week. Uh, 300. 300 followers 300 right plus. yeah 300 yeah. followers this week which uh hopefully there's gonna be some new listeners in that crowd and so if you are one of those new listeners welcome welcome we are gr- so glad to have you here and uh and hopefully we'll have a good follow-up show and a good first show for you but uh going into it uh first thing on our our topic of discussions we're going to jump right in uh last week we went over the wide receiver room uh, for the south carolina gamecocks and um, you know, our our thoughts, our concerns, our optimism there um, along that line of, of position group. So we went from the people catching the balls last week. This week, we're going to talk about the ones throwing them. It's going to be the quarterback room on the docket for the SC sit down this weekend. And Matt, I believe you've got the depth chart up. Is that right? Yeah, I guess I'll take it away. Um, we We have five quarterbacks listed on the depth chart for 2020. Um, missing from that, departures from last year, although he's still on the team, to carry on Joyner, who we talked a little bit about last week. Now with the wide receivers, uh, obviously someone who can play uh, at quarterback, but we would expect to and hopefully will stay at wide receiver uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, outside of that, we have a redshirt freshman, Connor Jordan, and a redshirt junior, Jay Urich, who we don't really expect to play quarterback much. I know Jay Urick played a little bit of receiver uh, in the spring game last year and into the very late part of last season when it, practically our whole receiving core was uh, dead. But basically that leaves us with uh, three quarterbacks. We have uh, returning sophomore Ryan Holinsky, who had an up and down year last year, battled some injuries, 
um, but came in for Jake Bentley, who I guess technically is also a departure from this uh, QB room as well, despite only playing in one game. Polinski had 236 of 406 yards, 2,357 yards with 11 touchdowns and five interceptions. By by my calculations, you are almost right. I think he had like five more yards throwing than that. But anyway, along with uh, Ryan Holinsky, who at this point would probably be your projected starter, we have incoming freshman Luke Doty from Myrtle Beach. Shout out Myrtle Beach. We talked about them a lot last week. Absolutely. And uh, incoming graduate transfer Colin Hill, who came from Colorado State with our incoming offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo. He had a great year with them. Well, he he got hurt, but he he was their best quarterback from what I what I saw. Three touchdowns. Was that last season? Wow, I didn't uh, know. That. Pretty damn good. That's I pretty guess good. right before uh, his he, he had a really good season. He he played really well for Colorado State, but they his stats are just going to look a lot better for a couple reasons. I mean, first of all, it's just a bit weaker of opponents, <laughs> and then right. second of all, their system is completely different. With Bobo, they were more of a spread air raid type offense so he's just naturally going to have a lot more yards although i have heard a lot of good things about him i i just don't think he's necessarily more talented than helinski or doty about plans on bringing that same spread this way correct uh, i believe so at least will be he'll he's going to bring a lot of what he he was using there I, i'm excited for this quarterback room um I, I know I said last week that I was a little concerned about the wide receivers and the talent there, uh, but one thing that I definitely think enough about is that I'm very, very excited to see uh, really the three quarterbacks that are really, I guess, in the mix get a chance for everything um, with Hill, with uh, with Helensky, and with Doty. And I, I think that this position group right here is, and how we can utilize that is going to be the difference maker. Well, I think I think the big thing is like if the stars align, yeah, this can be a really, really pretty great quarterback room. Um, it's just it's like I it really all depends on the injuries um, and whether Ryan Helinski can really flourish in the second year. Um, Colin Hill recovering from his ACL surgery and everything, and then Luke Dotty is just he's just raw, so we don't know enough about him. So definitely like. If everything works out, everyone's healthy, and everyone plays really well in the system, I think it could be really, really awesome for South Carolina. I mean, I just will caution you with that, saying that we've had four-star quarterbacks coming in every single year for the past six years. That sounds about right. Uh, Dodi Halinski, Joyner, Bentley, McIlwain, Nunez, Connor, Connor Mitch. Mitch. Isn't he a four-star? Connor Mitch, yeah. No, he was a throwback. He was to be, that Connor was Mitch was supposed to be, supposed to be the second coming of Christ, dude. <clears throat> yeah. But like, but what I'm trying to say is we've had consistent four-star quarterbacks our entire time. And out of all of those, our best quarterback ever was a three-star, Connor Shaw. Is that so why I'm all the saying... tweets out this week? We're talking uh, about him being a three-star and Dylan Thompson being a two-star? Yeah, so I'm just that. saying that like stars don't necessarily matter. It matters like how you develop them. And we've shown that we are not great at developing quarterback talent recently. So I still think you can be optimistic. I still stand by the fact that Jake certainly is better than given credit for. But yeah. I mean, there, there's a bunch of things that we could go into that. But I'm just but saying like. He's not in this quarterback injuries too. in 2020. Yeah. So let's not. Yeah, but I'm just saying level. like, I'm really excited. I'm very optimistic about it too. But also 
we need to do a better job of developing our star quarterback recruits. Exactly. It's true. And that's why it's so important for our incoming offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, to really kind of take. And one thing I, I liked that he said, like one of the first things he did when he got here was talk about how he watched Helinski's film for, for the year. And like, while it was an up and down performance, he said like, he looked good. He was just immediately was like, yeah, but his footwork was terrible. And like, that's what caused him so many issues. And whether that was something learned or more likely because he was probably trying to protect his uh, leg that had been hurt, his knee that had been hurt all year and his offensive line struggles at times. Um, But all of that kind of led to bad footwork. And I was, I was like, it was pretty cool that he just like, as soon as he got on the job, it was just like, yeah, his footwork's terrible. Like we're going to work on that. The fact that he could see that in minutes of arriving in Columbia is a good sign for sure. Yeah, and he he's already willing to make some some changes that are needed to be made. As much as I love some of our coaches in the past, like Spurrier would usually right before training camp would always either talk really bad about the team or be really silent about their progress. So it's nice to kind of get some. No, Spurrier would just steady talk trash about the team. Yeah, but you knew it wasn't true. And like, so it was like beat the best team in the country fifty to zero, and he'd be like, "Yeah, you got some things to work on." Yeah. Which is, I feel like Bobo isn't trying to blow smoke at anyone. He, I mean, he understands an issue that's ahead, and hopefully it can be solved before the start of the season. So, Or at least we'll figure out who starts week one. Storyline of last year, similar to the wide receiver room, were injuries for the quarterbacks, obviously Bentley going down in that first game, albeit a pretty terrible performance from him, and I think he would have had a much better year after that uh that game but getting hurt on the last play of the year and then deciding to redshirt and now transferring to utah which i i honestly think he'll do well but that's, that's uh an incredible yeah. day for him I, I i hope he does well um he's he's received a lot of um ill treatment especially late in his career here that undeserved yeah i don't i don't think was fair and in some ways i that's putting a lot of blame on our fans because I know it's not the Again, majority, but well you know, <laughs> yeah. But besides that, it's 2020, so uh, just a few questions and scenarios we can play out with the quarterback room this this uh, this fall. So obviously, the one quarterback that is probably going to look, and what I've heard has kind of looked the best starting off, especially with this new system, is the guy that was familiar with the system already in Colin Hill. So. Uh, just based off of what you guys have heard, if anything about Colin Hill, like it sounds like he's going to be pretty competitive. Like he's not here to just sit behind a couple quarterbacks and like maybe play a little bit here and there. Like he's, he's going to push for that, uh, QB one and try to get into this lineup. Um, what do y'all think about that, that dynamic, I guess there. When he first got announced, I thought for sure he was just coming to ride the bench. Like he was just going to come help, uh, Holinsky and Doty come and learn the new offense. And uh, he was had no realistic shot without a bunch of injuries to play in meaningful, any meaningful snaps. But now this whole situation with coronavirus, lack of practice, lack of time for the new quarterbacks to learn a new playbook. I think now it is actually a realistic chance that Colin Hill will play some meaningful snaps for us. Uh, I don't know what extent that will be. It could be to the point where he would even start earlier on in the season. 
but I don't necessarily think that will happen. I think I think he's definitely proven himself. So it's like I could see him coming into the system and being like, hey, like I've done the work before. Like I can do it again. Um, you know, he played three seasons at Colorado State, which I'll, I will clarify in those stats earlier. Those stats were for three plus seasons at Colorado State, not in one yeah, year. Yeah, I was going to say. So, yeah, yeah, I missed that part. I know Muschamp really, really wants a great leader, someone who's going to be not just a great player on the on the field, but really bring the team together and um, is is you know kind of the guy he's looking for for the face of of South Carolina. Which I know Halinski has been that. Uh, so yeah, in terms of that, that, yeah, he's he's done very well. That is one thing Halinski really knows how to do is keep keep the team on track and and be the guy that they need to have in the locker room and everything. So in terms of for Colin Hill, that's going to be a big hurdle for him to jump over just in the leadership he Colin Hill can be the greatest leader of all time but he is kind of walking into a, a room where Holinsky is the guy and Muschamp is really behind you know that type of mentality really still behind Holinsky so I think that's just going to be the biggest hurdle he's going to have to jump through is, is that leadership. I don't mind Muschamp being behind Holinsky I think that's a great thing but I respect the hell out of Colin Hill for coming in and working at it and you know trying to at least earn some like Clayton said you know uh, you know, balls that are worth playing for, right? Like, I, I don't think, you know, we should all just roll over and let Helensky just take the job because, you know, he's Helensky and he's got the experience, at least starting at quarterback for South Carolina. Um, you know, Colin Hill's got the experience under Mike Bobo. You know, his stats are pretty good. Um, I think it'll push Helensky and Doty to be better. I don't think really anyone expects Doty to do much just because he's a freshman. Um, but, you I know. I think that he is going to get his opportunities, and I think – I mean, just from what I've heard, I think that he's going to uh, – he's really going to do well with those opportunities. I think he'll definitely do well with the opportunities. But I just mean, you know, you know, we say – we can say much chance behind a certain quarterback. But, you know, they're all going to go out there. They're all going to compete. And really it's just going to come down to, I think, you know, obviously who performs the best. You know, the, the COVID situation right now isn't really helping. But, you know, I think we've got a very talented room. And I respect that Colin Hill's coming over to actually work for it. You know, he's just not going to let Helinski just have the job because that's kind of what they want. I, I like that he's, he can be a good mentor, you know, help Helinski and pretty get involved in the system and kind of teach them how to work. I think this is a great thing. I think it's really good to have like that veteran presence. I think Marino said that, quote unquote, veteran, right? Veteran yeah. presence. He knows the system. He can kind of teach these guys what Bobo expects, you know, how to make the right reads and stuff. I think it's a good thing. You know, I don't ever like just handing somebody the quarterback position. I think it's important to have these guys, you know, actually compete go out there and, you know, earn, earn their starting job. Yeah. And whether or not Hill ends up actually being someone who's a big contributor or in, in my opinion, more than likely he'll, he will end up being the, the backup or the third string guy. But if you think about it, like having someone who really, who has three years of experience in a system who is older, who has that experience to be able to come into a situation where I mean, how many years have we seen the backup quarterback come in over the last few years for Carolina? Like it, it's something that's extremely important. And when you've got a guy that's a veteran presence in a system who, again, like Austin was saying, like can at the very least be a reputable backup and can be like a guy talking to the young true sophomore and true freshman, uh, Helensky and Doty to help them with the system. I, I think that's in, in like, I didn't. I don't know about y'all, but when when it was announced that Hill was transferring here, I was like, well, what, what the heck are we wasting a spot on a a grad transfer quarterback that's never going to play? But when you when you really think about it more, it it right now it just seems like a very very solid move for a team that's 
really lacked a consistent consistent play from a quarterback for quite a while. I think you brought up a good point with the backups. The backups always seem to have meaningful snaps, whether it be Skarnacki or Joyner the past couple of years. So we've definitely needed someone with that experience that can come in. God forbid Holinsky gets hurt again or something like that. We need somebody who you know has the experience because our backup likely may play meaningful snaps. That's just the reality of it. You know, our third string was playing meaningful snaps last year. Our beat Georgia last year. <laughs> all right, so it's important to have all those guys kind of in a game situation ready. I don't know if we're ready to kind of move on to something, but I would like to just throw in a quick little question um, because there is one guy we hadn't talked about because he's kind of, at this point, very unlikely to be returning at quarterback is uh, Jay Urich, who um, is well, it says he's returning to the position, but he played a lot of time at wide receiver, and obviously Joyner is moving to wide receiver uh, Joiner played some interesting play against Georgia last year, which we ended up winning that game. So I just, with, with those two guys in mind, with two kind of wide receivers, uh, who played the quarterback position now in another, another role, do you think they might be utilized to some degree at, at let's say like a wildcat situation or a few trick plays? Cause I mean, like there's a lot of opportunity with two wide receivers that can do a lot with the team that. Bobo might be able to think of some creative play with that. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I don't see Yurik being in that kind of position. Uh, I, I definitely think it would be beneficial and probable that we see some type of package um, that has the opportunity for a wildcat trick play type of thing with Joyner. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that Yurik is – he did play some last year toward the end of the season, but it was mostly due to injuries, and he didn't really do anything probably other than – throw some check downs but i I, you kind of beat me to it i had a a couple questions here and like (laughs) one of my last questions was going to be uh what do we think about any special packages or trick plays for joiner which i guess you can also throw yurik in there but uh do we want to talk about like i can only imagine that there's going to be if 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 we had spurrier as our coach right now you know he'd he'd already be practicing these uh trick plays so We've seen a little bit here and there from well, he wouldn't because he wouldn't be allowed to based on uh, social distancing and coronavirus safety <laughs> standards. Oh, God. But I know what you're saying. If we're willing to do trick plays with Parker White, I'm pretty sure we'll be willing to do trick plays. Ah, uh, you guys. triggered me. Ah, <laughs> God. Such, such a good play, too. Trigger it would have been so good. I've said this from the beginning, since he moved to wide receiver, that we're definitely going to have trick plays in the books for – joiner i don't think there's really any way around that i think that's kind of a given uh you know whether it be goal line formations or essential fourth downs i definitely see him getting quote-unquote meaningful snaps at wildcat quarterback yeah so so what about my other, one of the other questions i have here is uh what do we, what do we we haven't really talked about it much what do we think about doty obviously similar to helensky has a lot of hype coming in uh but different than helensky he is more of a dual threat guy uh, has the ability to run a little bit more than Helinski, a little bit more mobile than uh, Helinski's kind of pocket passer mentality. Um, I I would love to see Doty get some meaningful snaps this year. I, oh, absolutely. I guess, yeah, in a perfect world, Helinski like comes out and is our guy, and Doty doesn't have to play a whole lot and can maybe hold his red shirt. Or can redshirt his freshman year? Yeah, that's what I, I would like to see. When, when, when is that? I mean, that that's just hasn't happened for us. I mean, Bentley played as a high schooler basically for us because things happened and like I, I'm I'm never yeah, gonna but hold that out, out in a good way for us. It did, it know? did, and but that situation where like yeah, we have this backup. Maybe he won't play. Like we talked about that with Linsky last year, and he played in the second game onward. 
So that situation, if it's nice if it happens, but I, assuming that isn't the case, I think Doty will be a really good change of pace guy for this QB room because Hill and Holinsky being more of the system pocket quarterbacks that we're used to seeing. And Doty could definitely be a, a little switch up there. Um, so exciting to maybe see the development of him. Uh, his highlight tape is insane for Myrtle Beach. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I I would say that I'm I'm really excited about Doty. I think he could be really, really good. He's definitely more of like a Connor Shaw type quarterback. and. I think he could probably get more playing time if we didn't have Joyner here to probably run all the Wildcat type plays. Well, I think that Doty is going to be more uh, more uh, utility than just for a Wildcat. Like, no, no, no. But I'm saying like he could have more chances to get more games in that kind of role. I don't think that is going to be what he's going to be. I think realistically he's going to just play in the the blowout games. Get as much experience in for his with his four games. Let's shirt. hope there are blowout games that he can. Oh, in our I, favor. I can see Doty playing in like the Coastal game, the Wofford game, possibly East Carolina game when we're up like eighty to three. But oh, yeah, man. he's gonna play in those type of games. Then he's gonna redshirt uh, unless we have some serious injuries uh, or he has some serious development in practice. So what you're saying is. Cody's going to be starter by week three, <laughs> based on he, how Carolina you know, football goes. <laughs> I'm really just curious on where Doty is, if he's the second string or third string. Well, that's, I, that's the interesting question to me. I vaguely remember when he came onto the team, and I don't, I don't know if this was during spring training or not, because the, the let's face it, the whole summer and spring has been all over the place. But uh, I remember like. Early on, like first few days, he was like the most impressive looking guy in the field. Obviously, that's changed since then. But just because it's probably he was new and it was the first time everyone was seeing him. So we know we know he's got the stuff. We've seen all his highlight tapes for sure. I, I just know that like it's it's really awesome that we will have the chance to have a lot of different types of quarterback play uh, in our at our disposal. Like everyone's saying with the dual threat, with pure pocket passer kind of guys. It really makes me think. And obviously... It was a really unique situation, and honestly, I look back on it now as very lightning in a bottle. Like, I'm surprised it worked this well. But when Spurrier was able to switch out Connor Shaw for Dylan Thompson on certain plays, and how they really, you could swap him in really easily, and then swap Connor Shaw back, and it just worked. Um, I don't know, you know. Again, very, very unique players, very unique time so i don't know if that will be able to be repeated i mean I, I think i know what you're saying just between now i don't i don't know if spurrier necessarily switched him out a lot strategically a lot of times no, it had no, to do no. with injury but yeah. just having a guy who was uh, a more of a dual threat runner type of guy and then switching him out for the pocket passer who had um just a really good arm like yeah it just makes that, it so much defenses to yeah. be and able to you add in like the potential plays with Joyner and right, having Colin right. Hill as well. And like, yep. it, it, it brings a lot of things to be excited about for this quarterback room. Um, so yeah, I, I'm here. Here's how I see it. And I'll finish off with our last question. Uh, what, I guess for our percentage wise, what do we think about who is the most likely to be the starter at the beginning of the season? And does anyone have any bold predictions as for, Injuries aside, let's just assume purely development here. Who ends up being the starter by the end? 
Can I add a wrinkle to your question? Can you Absolutely. give me the top three depth chart <laughs> for the beginning and end? Just okay. I yeah, think no, it's I like that. I like that. Oh, uh, that's I, me. okay. I can I can go first. So I I think it's gonna be Helinski Doty Hill, but I think it's a lot closer in the beginning or end. What in the beginning? Um, as for the end, uh, it really just depends on how Helinski responds to this new system and and Doty and uh, how Doty develops as well. Um, if if Doty and Holinsky struggle, it could very well be Colin Hill that starts that first game. So all of that in mind, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give Holinsky a 50% chance of being the starter to begin the season, and probably give it 25-25 for Doty and Hill. Um, and then by the end, I would I would favor it probably being a battle between Holinsky and Doty, all things considered. Um, but that's that's what I have. I don't know what y'all are thinking here. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, I- percentage wise i don't like doing like percentages on stuff like this but um i i would probably put like 60 like 35 5 like for week one starter like i i don't know i just think that in terms of who of like for so Helinski for like 60 doty 35 not doty 35 uh, hill 35 and then like doty, doty the five and that's just because the other two guys have the experience and when it comes to week one like that's going to be so key and so important um, for like starting out to being that opening starter. Uh, I think that the depth chart will kind of go in that order for week one as well, where it's going to be Helensky and then Hill, then Doty. But I think by the end of the season, it's going to be, you know, all things good with no injuries and things like that. And just going off of skill, I think that it's going to be Helensky, Doty, and then Hill. And nothing against Hill, of course. I just think that with the potential and the things that we're hearing about Doty, uh, that's just, you know, the hope that he'll be right there, that second guy. I would say that I would give Helensky an 80% chance to start game one, and then 15 for Colin Hill, and then five for Doty. And I'm saying that because Helensky was a starter last year. The whole team likes him. I, I know that Colin Hill knows the system more, and I think, but I think for the first game of the first season, you have to start Holinsky. And if he pr- plays poorly, then you bench him in like game two or three. Yeah, that makes sense, especially because game one's just coastal. Yeah, so I think Holinsky yeah, is okay. almost I mean, certainly going to be the starter. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then after that. I think it becomes more interesting to talk about because then you have some results to go off of. Yeah. Uh, but then day at the end of the season, I still think Holinsky will be the starter unless he, I mean, we're saying we're assuming no injuries. So I think, I think Holinsky will still be the starter because I think he's just going to be presumed as the starter and he has more to work off of. He's already got like a better connection with the team and so unless he just goes out there and has some real stinkers, he is pretty safe. So I, but I would put Doty up into the, to the backup spot by the end of the season, just from talent. Yeah. And I mean, and, and with Helensky, when you really look back, I mean, so he, I mean, he has some pretty good moments, especially like before injury. I mean, he had, uh, there was the Missouri game, and that was bad. Like, he had two very, very, very freshman mistakes. 
and those mistakes lost the game. But outside of those two plays, like he was pretty solid. Um, I mean, of course, it was Charleston. The game Southern. sticks out for me. Like he was really, really good in that Georgia game when before he got injured. And he his, was pretty his, good in Alabama against Alabama. Yeah, well. Alabama. He was also solid. Like he, especially early on in the season when a lot of our injuries hadn't stacked up. Like he looked good. The whole whole offense and whole team looked bad after post Florida, um, which I, I think was another game that he he played that fairly Florida well. Game just took- all the gas out of the yeah team. it really did like the a&m game the clemson game like we just had nothing left on offense we didn't score a touchdown it felt like for 84 years at well, that our point. last six quarters, our last, eight yeah, quarters something yeah. like that no, our last 10 quarters right but yeah at that point it, it was it was kind of hard to judge just because literally nothing left like at receiver at quarterback yeah our offensive line had started playing bad our our running backs were getting hurt like it was just nothing left in the tank but uh hopefully paul jackson can be a big fix for that um between jackson being our strength and conditioning guy and with bobo as the oc hopefully we see a a new refurbished offense uh, and it all starts at the quarterback yeah so that was one thing i was going to say with mine is for start on you know helensky i think is going to continue with the job i don't see any reason currently why you would take him out now um with i would say colin hill because he knows the system and then luke dotty because he's you know the new guy coming in but the thing is it's a new system um we're all kind of assuming and i i do truly hope that the new system works and we play very well but it's a new system and sometimes that works out really well for the team sometimes it doesn't in any team especially with the quarterback we talked about our wide receivers last week and while we do hope they play well we're we're still very uncertain of how this wide receiver room is going to turn out. Uh, we play a lot of hard teams. I mean, there's a lot of factors to consider in terms of just everything that goes around outside of the quarterbacks, outside of their health that we're discussing here. So I say by the end of the season, I say Ryan Helensky would still keep the job. And I agree with everything you guys are saying. Like he played very well before injury against Georgia and uh, against Alabama. But I think I think Dottie might come really close to being a starter. I think he might play a couple games as the backup, if not start some games, just because he he really is a pure dual threat quarterback. Sometimes sometimes guys like going being at Auburn, seeing Jared Stidham being a dual threat quarterback. Uh, uh, Jerry Jerry Stidham. Jared Stidham. I, I don't don't know if I remember that guy. Yeah, I've I've heard he like moved up north somewhere. So I think he I don't know. He's a, he's, a, he's a patriot now, but uh, he he was not that much like he kind of was a dual threat quarterback. He really wasn't that at least when he was at Auburn. What I'm seeing in Luke Dottie is very much that, and I know guys like that are much easier to improvise when the play starts to fail, um, and they can kind of use their legs to continue the play and get extra yards. So I think for a new offense that is untested, um. You know, Colin Hill knows it, but I think Luke Dottie will be able to improvise a lot better in terms of situations where things aren't going their way. Austin, Austin, you want to finish this out here? I finish up. Uh, I, I kind of agree with Clayton, Tyler, and Marino. I think, you know, 80% chance I give um, Helinski to have the starting job just because of what happened last year. Um, to beginning depth chart, I've got Helinski, I've got Hill, and then I've got Doty. Um, I'm the kind of guy where I don't mind sitting and learning a little bit. I mean, of course, barring injuries and like a complete collapse of the quarterback room, um, I see him coming in, maybe doing some meaningful snaps, but I don't think there's any rush to get him out there. I know he's got all the talent in the world. 
God forbid he goes out there and gets hurt his freshman year like Kalinsky did. You know, some things like that could always happen. Uh, by the end of the year, you know, I, I see Halinski trending upward, so I don't see a change really in the quarterback room. But if it did, I think Hill would get the next shot at starting just via familiarity and, again, not needing to rush Jody out there. Uh, so the final – final, um, uh, assuming there's no injuries, I would still say the final depth chart would be Halinski, Hill, and Doty. Now, if he did get hurt, I'd put Doty up there. To finish up, one thing I wanted to ask was Clayton kind of mentioned this. If uh, How bad does Halinski have to do to get benched? I guess with this Ooh. first couple of games. I think it completely depends on how well the other two look in practice. If like Holinsky's like looking okay in practice and like Colin Hill is just like killing it. He like knows the system. He's just like, he's looking better than Holinsky in practice. And he goes out and has like two like average to below average games. I think it's very possible he gets benched. For at yeah, least a game. and those those early games are so important. Like we have the Kentucky and Missouri games uh, that really are going to define whether or not we make a bowl game. And yeah. we don't really have time to mess around in the early season. Like if if he's not on pretty immediately in SEC play, then it's it's going to be. I mean, we have options. Like like we have some talent behind them. So whoever is the starter at the beginning of the season, I'm sure there's there's going to be a, a short leash, um, but hopefully that quarterback room is as talented and uh, can exceed this year uh, with a little bit uh, more experience uh, with the grad transfer we got in and with Linsky another year under his belt, a little more talent with bringing in Doty. So I'm excited to see what we can do there. So we've, uh, we've hit quarterback and wide receiver now. Uh, next week we'll go into further into the offense. We'll go into the running backs. So uh, very exciting. Um, as continuing with uh, Gamecock football, we have another two week, uh, two commit week, similar to last week. Uh, this week we have John Darius Morgan, a three-star offensive lineman out of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, as well as Omega Blake, who is an athlete, but is probably projected to play wide receiver for us, but I guess could be a uh, defensive back or a safety just based off his build. Um, but another uh, three-star talent out of uh, in-state and from Rock Hill. So uh, both those guys adding to the list of now 11 commits. So um, it, w- it was a, a real rough time for uh, recruiting for a while. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the COVID restrictions and everything. It's a, it's an unprecedented time for recruiting. But it's nice to see uh, us grabbing a couple new guys, especially uh, Blake, who I think just based off of what I've heard and what I've seen in his tape is seems like a very talented guy, someone to who could uh, bolster a uh, wide receiver room for us. Yeah, um, I think we we tweeted something out about those guys coming in. Uh, Poor it, tweet, uh, some would say. Oh my gosh, Omega! <laughs> I am some. I mean, when you got a when you've got a name like Omega, like it it just. It, it it makes sense what I tweeted, but you know I'm not going to talk about it because I'll just get triggered again. So, uh, if, if anyone has any complaints about it, it was it was an Austin oh. tweet. So your complaints to my email. <laughs> I just wanted to be known for the confusion. Matthew was not trying to laugh at our recruiting class. He just put a thing that is laughing at things yeah. just because it had Omega in it. I I don't know if we want to continue on with the triggering, um, because I know. Um, 
there is there's a lot of kind of heated thought and discussion this week as well um in terms of the nascar uh debacle um, so yeah let's not talk about triggering and heated topics and we're gonna go right into the most triggering and heated topic <laughs> on well, our list you know today. hey we're, we're not known for our delicacy episode of city sit down um <laughs> i mean as everyone probably knows at this point um there was was in talladega was this week and i guess i'll just kind of go through a little bit of like what happened uh like event by event you know talladega was going on um bubba wallace uh you know of course is the is the only um black nascar driver currently racing right now uh we talked about a little bit about him earlier in a couple episodes ago especially with his uh black lives matter car it was really cool to see um was assigned a garage i think it was garage four that, that, that doesn't matter um but before he or any of his team members got there there was a um there was thought to be a noose in his garage that i guess someone from nascar facilities or someone uh helping kind of with that situation had seen and then went to the head of nascar which then went to the fbi which of course created a huge story that went past nascar into just everything from twitter to you know general news outlets it was really ridiculous like how that could like it was just that's really bad you know it's just a terrible thing to see uh so fbi was really really put their efforts into that um nascar really banded around bubba wallace and the whole situation every team every uh every racer you know we're out i think the day of talladega um with bubba wallace where he kind of rolled his car um really slowly while everyone could walk behind him in a really powerful moment um everyone was behind him the thing that really freaked out a lot of people is that it's it's an area of the track and it's an area of that facility that really no one who isn't either high up media or directly with teams or executives in nascar are allowed to so the idea that people were thinking is that it would really only like there's only one chance to be someone from this community not a fan not someone trying to throw hate at bob wallace so it really sparked a lot of controversy and a lot of topic with that turns out um as far as we know, the FBI investigation has concluded that it had been there since October, I think like October 14th or something like that, 2019. And uh, the way people get their garages is they get them assigned to them right before the event. It's not something that anyone knew Bubba Wallace was going to be there in October um, or anything. It turns out from what it seems that it was just it's the garage uh, like rope to open and close the garage, and it was fashioned into a loop to help kind of uh, lower and close it. I'm not even sure if it's it was a handle. It might have always it. been that way. Yeah. Um, so again, it wasn't anyone from Bob Wallace's team. It wasn't Bob Wallace who saw it himself. It was someone who told him. So you really can't blame him for any of the situation. Like I, I mean, as far as he knew, it was a old-fashioned news hanging from the ceiling. Um, so. I think the way NASCAR handled the situation was really, really good. Um, I think they went to the right authorities very, very quickly and just were taking it as seriously as they could, especially with everything going on. Um, it was really good that they were able to get that done. Obviously, the FBI you know, concluded the situation really quickly. As far as we know, I mean, they could come out with more information, but that's what we know conclusive right now. Uh, I would say the only downside is it created a lot of just with Bubba Wallace himself and that created a lot of uh, fan um, 
kind of interaction that wasn't great. A lot of people with like Confederate flags and just kind of their uh, backlash and NASCAR's approach to the situation and of Black Lives Matter and everything. So I think while there may be some good things, there was it was definitely a mistake, I, I would say, to, you know, in, in a lapse of judgment for sure and kind of what, what the intentions of this was. Uh, NASCAR handled it well, but I think there was definitely some there's always some downsides in situations like this, but over what, you know, overall it was overwhelmingly positive. Well, I mean, as positive as it could be. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, obviously the, the story when it broke, I believe Sunday afternoon, right? Yes. And that was, that was shocking. Uh, to see that headline come across. Um, and I, I know some people would say, well, it's not shocking, but I mean, just the fact that, you know, someone's going to do that to what is essentially a coworker and, and, and in 2020 and all of that stuff with everything that's been going on, it's just disgusting. So just to see that, that, that was, it was quite like just like a kick to the gut, just to humanity, really. When that headline came across, uh, seeing everything that happened on Monday uh, with putting the ice stand with Bubba on the infield, uh, what you mentioned, Marina, with them, you know, walking with the car, everybody being around uh, the, the car for the national anthem. I thought it was a great showing of unity. Uh, of course, this is a story that's been taking up the national headlines uh, it, over the last couple of days just because of the implications of it both in sports and beyond. And so um, one thing that, you know, someone that mentioned um, is it, while, while covering the story that I heard that I really thought was was good to think of is NASCAR is thought of as an individual sport. Uh, very frequently, uh, most people will view it as an individual individual sport because you know one guy is driving, one guy wins the races, and all of that. But it, it's a team sport, you know. I mean, the one yeah. driver is relying on a crew chief, on a pit crew, on all of these guys that don't get a lot of the uh, the glory and everything week after week. But they are the people that they're the heart of the operation. They keep everything running, you know. Outside of that, you know, they have teams on the track like wallace he drives for richard petty motorsports and there are other drivers that are underneath that that umbrella of richard petty motorsports bubba wallace is driving the 43 car the car that richard petty i mean richard petty is the michael jordan of nascar you know if you want to say that you know i mean he is the top dog i mean i mean unless you want to argue like Earnhardt or something like that you're not going to find someone that's better so to to be on his team and to be on and to be in that car, I mean that is huge. I mean, and and to him to have a platform with what he, I guess, is being in that kind of position, you know, it's it's really huge for for the sport and everything. I think uh, that you can definitely make the argument that it wasn't. Not every part of the situation was handled well by everyone involved. But what you have to kind of admire is how NASCAR in general has handled the last couple weeks. They've they've been very quick to, like, with the whole Confederate flag thing and moving forward with that, even to probably the dismay to a lot of their audience. And then with uh, promoting Bubba when all this happened and, and, like, showing that the community had his back, despite what the end result was with the controversy of whether it actually happened or not to see NASCAR kind of take that spotlight and really kind of take advantage of just like they, they did a lot for themselves to make themselves look better and not kind of be 
in what a lot of people view as just like the back burner when it comes to just a sport that is very racially kind of segregated in I think what a lot in a lot of people's minds but they they really took advantage of uh their platform this week and so it was, it was pretty good to see definitely like you said for a sport that's very you know kind of racially driven you know let's be honest we know the most and i don't want to you know go too broad but the general fan base of nascar seeing how they've handled this thing banning the confederate flag uniting with bubba you know really promoting him and his movement the black lives matter movement his car you know allowing him to decal it which i thought was a badass car by the way his car looked really cool Um, you know, just seeing them come together and, you know, be so supportive of him, you know, they united with him. They pushed his car to the front, you know, when the, the, the story first broke and just seeing his emotions, seeing, you know, how much, you know, the, the community means to him, how much the sport means to him. It's really cool. Um, and of course there's going to be backlash from the community. Like I said, we know a lot of the fan base who's involved with NASCAR, but they've really stood their ground. They haven't really let this, you know, deter them from what they believe. Uh, just coming from this, this is the last thing I kind of expected from NASCAR. And I think it's really cool which just goes to show if they can do it, you know, the NBA, the MLB, the NFL, all those guys don't really have an excuse at all by any means. So this is just really cool to see a community come together, one such as NASCAR, and really embrace this movement, embrace Bubba, you know, be supportive of each other, which I think we all need. So it's been it's been really cool to see this whole time. I do think – I do like Bubba's response to the whole thing. You know, he was – you know, he kind of agreed with the findings. He wasn't really against it. He wasn't trying to be, you know – arguing against it you know he, he said you know i agree with the fbi's findings i'm glad to see it wasn't racially driven blah 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 i thought his response was professional it was great it was you know no hard feelings he didn't try and make it seem like oh this was definitely you know a bias against me someone's out to get me um, even if he personally feels that way he didn't let that overcome you know his message on twitter this morning uh, towards the fbi and all that so i thought his response was just very very well written yeah, I've just like, you know, it was it, it and even like when it was thought to be like a, a noose found in the garage, you know, he did not take a like he, he from the beginning he was I'm not going to back down because of like one person's ignorance and one person's and while there might be more people that share that same ignorance in his career and you know there it was just that one person that showed it and he wasn't going to allow that to stop him from doing what he does for a career. And I thought that that was, you know, very admirable because I mean, he, I mean, it's, it's clearly, if it was what it was, it was clearly somebody in his line of work, in his work family that did some type of this type of just, you know, hate crime towards him. If it ended up being what, what, you know, the original allegations were. So to look in the face of that and to say I'm still going to drive, especially on a stage as big as Talladega is for NASCAR, that was that was really big. And he was in contention. He was in contention yeah. to win. He ran out of gas at the end. So I mean, he was he was gunning for it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I did I did see some of that. I saw a lot of people at Talladega as well when he was, of course, the big the big story of that event. So they they put a lot of emphasis on him after the race. Um, seeing him talk to, uh, I guess, NASCAR and like news press, whatever, uh, and seeing a group of fans behind him with Black Lives Matter shirts and just, you know, outpouring of support for him and his movement or the movement he's putting himself in and, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and everything else going on was really cr- like just in Talladega, like 
it's really cool because I'm not used to seeing that type of like positivity. I'm not used to seeing that happen at, at that type of event. So it was, I was probably the big takeaway for me was that. Picture. Yeah. One thing, you know, to take away too, there were people on Monday that intended a NASCAR race for the very first time that until yeah. Sunday or between, until last week or whatever, never intended to go to a NASCAR race. Um, I, I won't say Sunday, but I'll say within, you know, I would say that there are people that race on Monday that two weeks ago would never have seen themselves in an NASCAR race. And I don't want to say that, you know, um, the decision to remove the Confederate flag or, you know, everything with, um, with fans, you know, showing up support of Wallace because of everything that happened. I don't want to be like, that's, uh, the, like, it's like a monetary goal for NASCAR. Like I, I want to believe that, I mean, it, you know, it could have been what it was, but hopefully NASCAR decided to ban that flag because that was the right thing to do. Not to say, well, we can get this demographic of fans. It, and it probably wasn't, but the fact is they have now. And, you know, there's going to be people that, you know, get to embrace a whole new culture of sport and, you know, get to, you know, there'll be more drivers like Bubba Wallace in the future and, you know, that look like Bubba Wallace and they'll be able to grow and, and, you know, have a new platform for voice. And that's pretty cool, too. And you're kind of seeing the beginning of that. Yeah, I'd love to see if this starts a revolution in NASCAR. So that'd be great. Kind of similar to... The NASCAR talking about the Confederate flag um, as well. Uh, Mississippi has been in the news a little bit. I don't know how much we want to go into this, um, but with the Confederate flag ordeals, there's been some talk about Mississippi not being able to have any postseason uh, events because of having the the flag. And is it is it because the flag is in? It's not because they waved the flag, but it's because it, of their state flag. Is that right? Yeah. Have you seen right the now? state flag in Mississippi? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the half of the flag is the Confederate flag. Right. But uh, Kylan Hill, who I hadn't really heard of, probably just because we haven't played Mississippi State in football. And I mean, we just with the way the East and the West work nowadays. We played, we played, him. We played him much champs first year. That was the last time. Probably like four, four-ish years ago. But I didn't even know who Kylan Hill was, which apparently he's debatably one of the best uh, running backs in the league. I, I think I yeah, would he's, uh, he's got some. Yeah, I, would, I, would, I would put my money on uh, Harris with Alabama just after what we saw him do to us last year. But uh, Kylan Hill is listed by a lot of people as like a, again. a yeah. consensus top 10 uh, returning SEC player. So someone that has huge impact on this program and is saying he's going to hold out and not play football um, until this flag situation is fixed. Um, my, my comment on that is I, I think I appreciate what he's going for. And I, and Mike Leach has, has come out and supported uh, his, what he's saying. I do think it's not something that's just going to happen before football season, just because of the politics of everything. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what that leads to in terms of a holdout, but um, it, it is an interesting ordeal. I just think I think it's very interesting because I just don't really see a world in which they change a state flag within the next 
three months. Uh, and not because uh, – not for, like, lack of not wanting to do so. I just think – Yeah, just for, like, process. bureaucratic reasons and – Yeah, like, I think – because, I mean, you're going to have to have a new flag. And, you know, there's going to have to be – you know, they're going to have to say – well, what is your new flag going to be? And there's going to be that whole thing. And they'll probably do some type of knowing some type of Twitter poll or something like that. And, you know, the next flag of Mississippi is going to have something like stupid on it, like, a, I, I don't know, like a cowbell or something like that. And it, because it's going to come to some fan vote. <laughs> but that's just being a little exaggerated. But um, but it, it, the reality, it's not like when, you know, we had this this Confederate flag flying over our state house or flying on our state house grounds. And we eventually were like, okay, we're going to pass this law and it's going to come down and go into a museum it, because that was something that can happen overnight. This is something, you know, it, it, it's something that's been a symbol of the state. Um, no matter if that's, if you consider it to be a good or a bad thing, it is like an official symbol and there's official leg legislation that protects that. And so they're going to have to cut through red tape and do all of that. And so they might say, okay, in the next three months, we're going to change it. And he might say, okay, cool, I'll play then. But it's not going to be like by the time that they kick off football season, there'll be a new flag flying over the stadium in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation. I don't know if there's really much more to say about it, though. Unless you want to like see like like the percent chance you think he's going to transfer because of this. I think I, think I, I could see him transferring. No, I don't think so. I mean, he he chose Mississippi State for a reason, uh, and it's not because of the politics of the state, I'm assuming. Um, I think he's just – he knows that he has voice as a leadership position and has the ability to, to do that. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want him to be on the field in the fall uh, to, to help their team and, you know – I think the, the another question that needs to be presented is, since we're talking about the state of Mississippi, uh, this last week, um, UNLV, the UNLV Rebels, uh, I got to look back and see exactly what they did, but they kind of began to disassociate the name Rebels from their mascot, even though it has no no affiliation with like the Confederate Rebels. Uh, but the Ole Miss Rebels, you know, if they're disassociating that mascot at UNLV, what is that going to say with that old Miss? It's just oh. uh, a, a little food for They've already disassociated the Rebels, essentially. Well, they had they, a more Rebel-looking mascot, um, and now, what is it? Like, it's like a bear that's sort of it's, like It's mascot. the land shark. They almost went by the Admiral Akbars at one point because the, Wait, the school. What? Yeah, well, when the school initially was because the rebel, they haven't used the rebel in a while because they were trying to find a new mascot, and the the school allowed like students to vote for who they thought the mascot should be, and Admiral Akbar got like a surprise. I think I, I think it won, but the school was like, one, we can't no. buy the rights to him, and two, absolutely not. So they went with something <laughs> really boring. And really lame as the black bear. So I just thought I was, they They're almost no were the Ole Miss bears. Admiral Akbars at one point, like in 2005 or six. But yeah, uh, outside of what we've talked about so far, um, in terms of basketball, moving on to the NBA, uh, former Gamecock PJ Dozier signed the full deal now. He played minutes here and there during uh, the shortened regular season. Uh, this year with the Nuggets, but now he's full, full, uh, full on for the Orlando restart and the playoffs for a pretty good team too. in the Nuggets, who are a top 
couple seed in the uh, Western Conference. Uh, definitely a team that uh, likes to use their depth. So I would I would look forward to seeing PJ Dozier playing some probably some meaningful minutes uh, in the playoff run here. Um, along with that, with PJ Dozier in, there's a few players, and I would probably expect there to be more. Uh, who have opted out of going to Orlando. A lot of them citing uh, family reasons, which I feel like that's a reason you have to give somebody, like especially, so the guys that that have opted out so far, Avery Bradley, Davis Burtons, and Trevor Ariza. Um, I think Burtons is is different because it, it just based on his contract, it makes sense for him, who's playing for the Wizards, who are probably the least likely team to actually compete to even make the playoffs. But with uh, Ariza and Bradley, they both have sons who, with this Orlando restart, they probably wouldn't be able to see for quite some time. I know Bradley's son has a, uh, he's only six years old and he has a ton of respiratory illness um, history. So any any form of him going back to playing in the NBA restart would not involve him seeing his son just because of the danger it involves. Um, I think there's probably going to be a few, probably some of the older guys in the league. Uh, Ariza also older as a 12-year-old son. So I would expect this from a couple players. Um, there is a like a supplemental pickup, uh, I guess, list of players who, um, like your J.R. Smith and uh, probably players like that that probably aren't very good, but you know maybe could play a few minutes here and there. <laughs> if uh, needed in the playoff run. So I don't know what y'all think about that, but I, I definitely can't blame uh, some of these guys for wanting to uh, prioritize their and their family's health. It, it'd be different if it was like somebody on the Lakers or the Bucks, you know, because they actually have a chance to really, or a legitimate chance to win a championship. It, so, I mean, it, you talk to these guys like on the Wizards and things like that. But yeah, I think, uh, um, I think I I think you can't really fault these guys, especially the guy you said that has his uh his son with respiratory issues. You can't fault him for that, you know. I I feel like I would be in the same shoes if you know they want me to go to Orlando for a month and a half to play in three maybe four games, head back home, and possibly contract COVID while I'm there and bring it back to my at risk child. I mean, I, I I wouldn't be able to do something like that. Yeah, um, definitely, unfortunately, it makes me really, really upset because, like, COVID is still a thing. Um, it's still something we should be really paying attention to, even though, especially in our state, uh, it doesn't seem to be much of a concern, according to our cases. Uh, I know there was the the big golf event. Uh, where was that again? Um, oh, do do we get to have a little golf segment here? Oh, is that what? I'm I, no, yeah, I'm talking about it because I know if you talk about it, we'll be we'll be here till next. Well, Monday. yes, uh, the golf was on Hilton Head Island this weekend. Yeah. Um, I don't know if y'all know, but uh, so the first week back was last the week before last. Um, in Dallas, it went smoothly without any cases. Um, th- this week, and then it gets um, to South Carolina. It gets to South Carolina. And uh, Nick Watney, um, a player on tour, he uh, it was a big thing on Friday. It came out that there was a player that tested positive. Uh, you look at the leaderboard, and there's only one player that has withdrew. So we were confirming but not confirming that it was Nick Watney. It ended up being confirmed it was Nick Watney. Um, 
kind of scary. Uh, he the PGA Tour, like you, like most other sports that you know you're starting to see starting to come back. They're wanting to build a very contained bubble for all of their athletes. Um, and this guy, he came to the course with symptoms on Thursday, played his whole round, and then Friday got tested and it came back positive. So a little concerning that he did something like that. Um, well, from what I heard from other players that like, or from from the news and everything, that he really took it seriously. Like he wasn't. Yeah, uh, he yeah. Was taking it, every precaution he could, and he still. It, got and, and true, but just to, I guess just to come to work still, I guess. Yeah. Um, and jeopardize the entire tour. Um, sure. a little bit of funny tidbit there. Uh, and I wish I, I wish I would have thought more about talking about this, but I know y'all hate talking about golf. Uh, but Sergio Garcia, who's a Spanish golfer, um, who continuously shoots himself in the, in his, in his own foot. Uh, he won the masters back in 2017. He, um, he is historically has some issues, uh, with racial comments concerning Tiger Woods a few years back. Um, he's had issues with, um, with uh, destroying greens uh, in an event um, out of frustration, um, which is you know big no no, um, and just a lot of other on the field, infra not on the field but on the course infractions. Uh, he had a statement that basically along the lines of, "It's really a shame that Nick Watney is the player that came down with COVID. There are a lot of other players that deserved to get it oh, over him." <laughs> So, the, of course, the, the follow-up question that all of the golf community wishes we had was, who deserved to have it, in his opinion? Well, um, we're I definitely not going into that, because that is a bad idea. Patrick Reed! Patrick Reed! Patrick Reed! Oh. Cut, cut, cut the pot. We're canceled. We're canceled. No, I literally, nobody will cancel us because of that. Everybody hates Patrick Reed. Um, <laughs> but. So, I, I, had, I had cousins who had... Um, or I had a cousin who drove down from, from Ohio to go to Hilton Head for the, the tournament and everything. Um, from their, from their perspective, I did. Uh, from their perspective, uh, by car. But, but why? Like, you're, allowed, there. you're allowed you to know, You're allowed to be on there if you like own property on yes, that area. He does, which he does. Um, okay. So, That's, yeah. From, from their wow, perspective. I thought, I thought Tyler knew everything. Well, them. I mean, I didn't. I didn't expect that. Like Marino's cousin from Ohio had wow. property on, on Hillhead. Wow. <laughs> Making a lot of assumptions here, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, from what I've heard from them, and from what I've seen in the media, like Hilton Head this weekend, especially this weekend, was just nuts. Like everyone was out. People were at rest. Like just. At, like, which makes me really mad because like cases have only gone up in South Carolina. And for the past like two weeks, yesterday we had just under thirteen hundred new cases, which is I think at this point another high. It, every day it seems like we're getting another high. Um, I, I just it's not over. Like we we really need to make sure we're paying attention to where we're going and you know covering up wearing masks as much as possible because like it's great to see events like this, but I knew that if this wasn't handled properly, it would really be bad on South Carolina. And yeah, I know um, there was the tennis thing happening too. And well, tennis you know, can be a bit more contained as well. I mean, well, I thought golf could be contained too. True, true. It was insane yeah. from just people. People weren't even at the event. These are people in Hilton head visiting Hilton head because they, they like being around golf. Like, yeah. I, so it's just, I don't know. Like tourism was insane this week. 
Yeah, and and that's one thing. Uh, Justin Thomas is one of the top golfers in the world. He uh, he had a little quote in the media that um, was along the lines of, you know, Hilton Head was like a lawless w- land of, you know, nobody was wearing masks. There was no social distancing in restaurants, um, things like that. So um, it, it's kind of it is a really bad look when one of the top athletes in the world um, comes out and says that, especially um, for an event like. Uh, um, I like the the heritage that doesn't get a lot of big names and, you know, they want to put on the best example when they do get a feel that they had last weekend. Um, and also South Carolina is going to be back on this golf stage uh, next May, hopefully next May, um, when Charleston is in the limelight hosting the PGA Championship. So you don't really want these guys to kind of, you know, a lot of times their first trip to South Carolina um, to have this kind of like negative connotation to it. And, you know, because that's going to, you know, like you said, hurt tourism and things like that. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see um, how it kind of how South Carolina's impact is on the golf world uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, This week, they have the Travelers Championship in Connecticut. um, And it just seems like there are positive tests uh, left and right. Um, it's uh, Cameron Champ, who's a uh, professional golfer on tour, young guy. He um, he tested positive today and withdrew. Um, then he uh, um, and I don't believe he played in Hilton Head last weekend. I'm looking it up though. Um, and I don't. Yeah, he did not. Um, so he caught he contracted it elsewhere. Um, Brooks Kepka, who's one of the top players in the world, uh, his caddy contracted it. Uh, and so he will not be playing um, next week because of that, since he was in close contact, even though he uh, he tested negative. Um, Brooks Kepka's brother, it's actually pretty sad. So his brother's a PGA Tour player. Um, he had to basically fight his way in as an alternate for the event. But obviously you're there with his brother and he was in close contact with other people. Um, he's pulled out of the event. So. A lot of big names. Uh, Webb Simpson shouted him who wanted Hilton Head this past weekend. He's pulled out because of concerns with it, just with people coming down with it. Um, and he's got like a family of five. He's the PGA Tour version of Philip Rivers uh, with uh, with his ever-growing family. But uh, um, so a lot of golfers have decided not to play this week because of COVID being prevalent in the, in the tour's little bubble there. So um, hopefully South Carolina won't take down the PGA Tour this year. Um, at least for my sake, but um, so a lot, a lot of cases coming up after the the pit stop in in Hilton Head, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, real quick, I'll uh, just do a quick minute tidbit here. Congratulations to Tis the Law on winning the Belmont Stakes. Congratulations to none of us for winning that. We were all wrong. So uh, yeah, we were all wrong. Wasn't he? Wasn't lost- Tis the Law like the odds on favorite? Oh yeah, yeah, he was. And Props he to us though for off. not just jumping on the odds on favorite. Much respect to that's us. Boring way, dude. Yeah, that's yeah, boring. I, so I respect all of your uh, your your votes. Uh, I do want to say, uh, you know, shout out to Tizalaw for winning the Belmont Stakes, but also Tizalaw, you're a fraud. Uh, you wow. Cannot, yeah, I'm just gonna come out and say it, Tizalaw. Uh, you might win the Preakness Stakes. You might win the tri- you might win the Kentucky Derby. You might technically win the Triple Crown, but you will Fighting never words. be. A triple crown winner. You are a fraudulent. <laughs> Jesus. Belmont stakes. Oh, I don't know, dude. Did you Wait, even break away? Another Tyler. Away speed was ridiculous. Okay, he did have was pretty uh, uh, pretty good breakaway speed. I'm that was shocked. That was 
the Belmont Stakes is is the most grueling race in horse racing. Uh, it's a mile and a half. It's it, it it's just it's a it's a brute, and you know it's called where the speed horses come to die. Uh, so you know you have. Um, I believe it's a, a mile. I don't. It's like a mile and a quarter uh, for the Kentucky Derby. Um, it's uh, I can't remember oh, exactly <laughs> for the Freakness. Like a mile and three eighths for the Freakness, and then uh, um, and then like normally like a mile and a half for the Belmont. But it was only a mile and an eighth for for the Belmont this year. They started on turn two at Belmont. That's not a true Belmont champion. It's ridiculous. It, when I, I was excited, I love horse racing. I love the American Classic races. But when I saw that, I lost almost all interest in the race. If, if it wasn't, say, for, it was also weird seeing it without fans or with anybody like that. that. Was, like the whole know, point of horse racing is to bet and like to be out yeah. there going for your horse. I mean, you have no fans. Bet. I just mean like just having no. It was just weird. It was yeah, totally empty. Yeah, it's still the experience it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but once, if it wasn't for the race, was starting in like five minutes. Yeah. Uh, if I had found out like at ten a.m. that day on Saturday that the Belmont was only be a mile and an eighth, I wouldn't have watched it. I would have oh, no interest. Here in it. we go. Well, all I know is that we went from Tyler fighting a bee. Well, wait till you see our next matchup. Tyler gets to fight a full ass horse. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm gonna win that one. <laughs> it close. But he's still a fraud. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of matchups, just to close, kind of on a random note, The Undertaker announced his retirement. So um, again, yes, again, officially, I guess. <laughs> yeah, again, uh, again, yeah. He's he pulled a McGregor, but I guess this is this one's official, official. Yeah. So, uh, rest in peace, the dead man. R.I.P. This episode of the podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And twenty-five uh, down, we'll 25, twenty-five more. Let's go. Yeah. Let's knock out. Let's knock out a smooth a thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah, we're really, hey, really yes, close. We are so really close. close. We won 1,000 followers, 4K. Yeah, more uh, listens on Apple so that we actually get statistics so we know uh, what, what we're doing here. Because apparently Apple anyway. thinks we're fake. All right. Well, if you, if you stuck around with us for this long, thank you. It's uh, been quite a whirlwind this episode, but <laughs> we'll see you all next week.